and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hello everybody and welcome to this, the latest edition of ESSR Central. I am your host this week, I am Stephen Wilson and as usual here on ESSR Central we are going to be talking about all the news, rumours, gossip, reviews going on in the world of professional wrestling over the last seven days. But before we get into that and I introduce my panel who are going to be joining me this evening to talk through the, the last week in wrestling, please get on to our social media and subscribe to us Facebook, Twitter, Instagram we are at Suplex Retweet you can find us on YouTube where we've got shows such as Quiz Showdown The Conspiracy Theory and the soon to be debuting Book It, that's all on our YouTube channel and you can also if you've not subscribed to us already you can subscribe to us on any good podcasting platform we are at Suplex Retweet now, uh, I have this is my first show in my U-Digs in my U-Man Cave I've got many pictures around the man cave and I thought that'd be a great way to introduce my panel as they all have great similarities to each thing in the man cave. First off is a man who's like Captain America, even though you can't see behind me. Apart from, he's not got the abs, he's not American, and he doesn't really like red, white and blue. It is, of course, David Hockney. David, how are you? Uh, Just to counteract your arguments, I do have abs. I am wearing an American baseball cap. And uh, I, actually, I don't, I don't, I don't like red, white, and blue. I'll give you that one. So fair enough. <laughs> ah, fair enough, man. Fair enough. Uh, up next, like Darth Vader, he's an evil dictator who just he bosses round the stormtroopers. Who his stormtroopers are, I don't know. It's all these people he, he has online. I don't actually have a clue. It's just the dictator part of it I got right. It is Alan McLucas. Totally lost with that. That was a stinker. Was that a was an absolute stinker, mate. <laughs> I started it, I started it and I was like, I have no way I could do this. What we know is that you're my stormtrooper, bitch. I hope you paint your abs on, we all know it. How are you doing, guys? I would paint my abs on as well, to be fair. You know, I've just got like a six pack so of the fridge. I don't need to paint mine on. Mine are just, they're there. We don't, we don't need to see them, Dave. That's I'm not, not going to show them, I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> and finally, like, the man behind me, the Joker. Can't actually get my bearings right here. He <laughs> just wants to see the world burn. It's Grant McRobbie. <laughs> I actually like that one because the Joker is brilliant. Heath Ledger was amazing. Thankfully, not that Jared Leto shite that you've got. <laughs> it's not Jared. That's a that behind me is. A, that's is what I'm saying. I'm glad. I'm glad it's. I'm glad it's no Jared Leto you've got there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that's... I would. I'd be it. But <laughs> a bit of context. Uh. Well, my kid Phoenix is alright. Uh, for a bit of context, I got this. Obviously, people who are listening on the audio can't see it. I got this picture of the Joker five years ago when me and Laura first got a flat. When we moved to our second flat, she hid it from me. <laughs> I've not seen it for three years until we got in this house. No, the well, of so, so, who really wants to see the world burn there, then, eh? Your missus. <laughs> Wouldn't they surprise me? Uh, but let's let's get in and let's talk about the world of professional wrestling. But before we get into the the bread and butter, the in depth of wrestling, is so news that affects the world of wrestling this week. And for those who want to see world return back to some form of normality, there's apparently been a bit of a breakthrough in terms of finding a COVID vaccine. Uh, 
the company Pfizer. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Pfizer. Pfizer, whatever the name is. I can't pronounce it. You always going to muck it up. So thanks for correcting me, guys. They make your favourite medication, Viagra. <laughs> that is true, actually. <laughs> the fact that you know that does not surprise me. Uh, <laughs> they have, uh, they've done their, uh, their latest clinical trials, stage three trials on the COVID vaccine. It's 90% effectiveness, apparently, so mm -hmm. there's a chance that we could be seeing uh, rollout of this vaccine in some form within the next couple of months, maybe even before Christmas. Now, Alan, obviously that means that there could be a chance that in the beginning of 2020 we could see the return of fans and the form of live wrestling again, which is good to hear. I don't know if it'll be the start of 2020, but it'll be good. 21, 21, sorry, but it'll be good to see them at some point. Um, I'm honestly, my money would be on middle next year if this is going to be successful. Apparently, it's, you need to take two doses three weeks apart. So uh, something like that, yeah, three to yeah. four weeks apart. Yeah, and they're yeah. saying the first set of uh, tests could be happening in the next two to three weeks if they get uh, approval. So I don't think it'll happen early next year, but you never know if things go right and you know people follow the rules, maybe there might be a, at least a semi-decent crowd at WrestleMania if we're lucky. That'd be great. Yeah, Dave, because obviously the Americans with their new president Mm -hmm. uh, even though Donald Trump won't admit that he's the president, uh, Joe Biden is <laughs> obviously he's taking the COVID stuff seriously, and, and the US have ordered a big bulk of this vaccine. It's one of the what they've got, I think, the most on uh, on back order. So mm -hmm. obviously that could mean a lot for WrestleMania, as Alan said, because there's there's talk of Vince wanting WrestleMania to happen. We've talked about it in past shows, but the more successful this rollout is, it obviously could depend how much fans we get mm -hmm. in such a crowd. Yeah, I think um, you have to look at the prioritizing aspect of it, like who's going to be first in line to get this potential vaccine. And I think most likely it's going to be, you know, those that are in care homes, care home workers, health workers, key workers, and the elderly that will be prioritizing it. Now, WWE's audience, uh, just using WWE as an example here, I think it's about 30, 25 to 30% of them is like, over the age of 50. But yeah, you can imagine, you know, those will be just like parents and other family members. So. It might, you know, encourage. Uh, it might encourage people to come back, knowing that uh, some of the population is going to get vaccinated. Hopefully, uh, what it means for fans, though, I think it means, you know, maybe at some point early 2021, they might start to slowly ease fans like back into arenas. For WrestleMania, though, I think they might still limit the capacity just uh, just out of safety because obviously Joe Biden's taken a very proactive approach when it comes to handling the pandemic and I think it's only right that he keeps this uh, approach going in order to, to protect as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, Grant, you obviously are Japan correspondent from Steny <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, Japan have done very successful in integrating fans over the last couple of months. I think you, you gave a stat to us the other day about the number of shows with fans attendance that they've had without a single positive COVID test or outbreak related to a uh, Japan show, which NXT must look at with utter jealousy. Aye, it's, uh, it was um, 72,000 and something fans over 54 live events since early July, which when you put that the, the math behind that and knowing that some of the shows had three or 4,000 fans attending without a single positive result, 
that is an incredible statistic and really it, it shows that you can do things right and that's before we have a vaccine what they they just they have strict rules they have temperature checks and things like that and it's paid off big time uh, the other thing that's kind of been seen across the uk alan in recent times is uh, this mass testing that they've trialed out in liverpool in particular they're going to do it across the council could you see that being another way that they could bring fans back in if they've got this rapid one hour test and test the guys test the wrestlers and test the fans before they come in it's on these small indie shows um, yeah I mean I think it's still going to be limited um, so if you're talking like for example the Hydro I still don't think you're going to get the 13,000 in uh, no kind of like Dave said maybe towards maybe half and that could work theoretically it's whether or not the people that are attending are prepared to follow the rules you know wear a mask sanitise your hands you know keep two metres apart because I think if, if people are just going to get rowdy and lady and just ignore the rules it's going to affect that and it's going to be probably detrimental to the whole show um, but speaking for myself I'm always roasting so I'm probably always going to flag up as there's an issue because <laughs> I never feel cold but um, I would, I'd like to think it would help but I'm very sceptical of it to be honest uh, you mentioned it Grant, you mentioned the, the Hydro there actually. The main, main ICW's for Hydro show, they had about what, a thousand fans. That would be that, that would have worked perfectly in this current era. <laughs> I, <laughs> mean, I mean, that's it. The, the Hydro for like the last year and loathing, like, you probably, if, all you would have had to done is just make sure that the standing folk were spread out and put them into some of the seats, and boom, problem solved. Mm. Yeah, like in Newcastle as well, they've got this, uh, I think Virgin Media have got this big outdoor uh, like sort of gig venue, but they've set up outdoor platforms. So that you know, people in like social bubbles and all that can get can you know they can all stand together, but they're kept a good distance apart. That way, um, you know, you're still maintaining social distancing, but you can still sort of interact in your own little bubble. It's kind of in a way, it kind of looks a bit like VIP treatment. So it might not be a bad thing, you know, having you know people separated and having a, you know, a bit of room to breathe. Guys, you talk about plumbing actually. People following the rules of crowds. There's a lot of videos on the was it Jericho's entrance on Saturday. And the fans are singing Judas, and the bit of them have the masks down while they're doing it, going Judas in my mind, like you know. Mm. Yeah, keep your mask. <laughs> I mean, the, the one guy that seems to be following the rules is that idiot that wears the Everton top at all the shows, who seems to have switched from NXT to AEW because he's allowed to go to the shows. You know, it's <laughs> mental. But uh, speaking of the aforementioned All Elite Wrestling, they had a a big pay per view this past Saturday. Yes, it was. AEW full gear was this past what uh, Saturday the final pay per view of the AEW calendar and Grant it kicked off with a match between your two to your voice uh, Kerry Omega and Hangman Adam Page in the finals of the AEW World Championship Eliminator Tournament where we finally got to see Kerry Omega take his place at the front of the queue. Aye, that was an absolute stormer of a match. You actually felt sorry for anyone that had to go on after that because you just knew they weren't going to disappoint. The story was built up well. Omega is just almost back to being 100% the cleaner. There's a couple of things to go, but he is back to like full overblown heel with a ridiculous entrance where when you actually realise how many accolades he's got, it is ridiculous. Yeah, Dave, mm -hmm. the best bout machine, and obviously, I can't. Grant would obviously tell me otherwise. You know, I can't remember seeing many Kenny Omega paper big pay per view opening matches. 
as a singles competitor. So, mm. as he said, to, to put them on first is a bold. It's, it's bold, but you can kind of see it. I mean, uh, one of the things AEW's been criticised in the past is the way they structure their pay-per-views out. You know, a couple of pay-per-views ago, we got Hager versus Dustin Rhodes, which put mm-hmm. me to sleep. But <laughs> no, no offence to Dustin Rhodes, all offences to Jake Hager. But uh, <laughs> no, you need to have a match that excites the crowd and mm-hmm. the former tag team champions going one on one. It's a perfect choice. Oh yeah, I think this was a this was a no brainer to go on first. Uh, it was either going to be that, or I think possibly maybe even the tag title match. Now it does sound a bit out there, but you needed a strong opener, like you do with any sort of major pay per view. And I think we've we've talked about this before about Kenny Omega on AEW. You know, he's like a big main event draw like style of wrestler. You know, as we've seen him in New Japan, he's wrestled in Wrestle Kingdom many a times. He's won the G1 Climax before. These are all like big time events rather than you know sort of weekly tapings. And this, that, I don't think that's something he really sort of found his groove in until maybe sort of now. But to see him deliver such a really good opening match with Hangman, like, you can't help but not be impressed. And that finish with the the three or four V-triggers before hitting the one-winged angel. I mean, I think he's really sort of bounced back from what was a bit of a shaky start. Uh, Alan, the thing about uh, Kenny Omega, I mean, he shows here he doesn't need to have a long match. I mean, he's had these half-an-hour-to-hour classics in New Japan with uh, Kashishika Okada, but 60 minutes has went for. It's uh, a relatively short open up in terms of you know what it could have been but it shows that you don't need to have a long match to put on a classic on pay-per-view yeah absolutely i mean i've not seen it yet that's my view for saturday but i know it happened but yeah it kind of sets the tone i think it's a perfect match to set the tone there was other matches that people maybe weren't expecting to be as exciting you know so i always believe like pay-per-view should go in like a wave format you get something to build you up and then you calm down build up calm down then you get to your main event sort of thing and I think this pay-per-view fitted that to the T. Um, and again, I think sometimes having the really long matches can actually be detrimental to be quite boring. You can have the best storytelling in the world, and they, obviously there is examples like you mean, Okada with Omega, 60 minutes and so forth, great matches, but when you're too many of them, you do become a bit boring, and uh, you do lack that draw, so sometimes having the sort of sharp 15, 20 minute matches are perfect. You don't need to have the big 30, 40 minute matches. And uh, uh, I, th- I think he set the tone perfectly for the rest of the pay-per-view. Talking about long matches, Dave, there was a, the longest match of the evening was the match you briefly mentioned earlier on. It was for the Tag Team Championship. A match mm-hmm. about three, four years in the making. Can't exactly remember the exact timeline on it. Was uh, the Young Bucks taking on FTR for the AEW Tag Team Championship. It's a match I've seen mm-hmm. various ends of the spectrum for in terms of some people classing it as the greatest tag team match they've ever seen. Other people having disappointment with it because of the build. It's uh, one as it say could go either way depending on how you feel the Bucks and FTR built into this match on AEW. Yeah, I think I think it did tick a lot of boxes for a lot of people. I was, I mean, I was really, really impressed with how well he pulled it off, given all, all the hype and stuff. But I think that's one of AEW's biggest weaknesses is that they tend to hype something up so much, but then when people do see it, it tends to sort of slightly underdeliver, or it just misses that it factor, that surprise factor. Because if I can take an example out of context, like Undisputed Era versus Larkin and Birch some years ago at uh, TakeOver, I think it was Chicago, 
like I didn't expect much from that match. You know, maybe a solid tag team match, but oh my god, it actually turned out to be one of my favorite matches like ever on NXT. And I think when you overhype something as much as you know FTR versus Young Bucks, even though people have been clamming for it for a long time, some people might end up a little bit disappointed. But I will say this though, my favorite bit of the entire match was both of them pulling out all these classic tag team finishers. Like you had the you had FTR doing that sort of spike pile driver. You even see them bring out the the shatter machine as well, which JR very cleverly referred to as, oh, DIY used to do that move. When, I mean, you're talking about, you're, about, you're, you're about meat in the middle. Oh, meat in the middle. Uh, yeah, shatter machine's there, Finn, was, is their old oh, name. Oh, sorry, yeah. Meat yeah, in the middle sorry, is the yeah. DIY one, aye, aye, that's the... Yeah, sorry, that's my mistake. Yeah, I'm, I'm confusing shatter machine with uh, uh, meat in the middle. It was, uh, Honestly, DIY FTR or the revival, you know, that's the the rivalry that was playing in my head there. And I think the Young Bucks also pulled out uh, poetry in motion as well. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so seeing all these classic tag team finishers as well, I think you know that was a, a nice <laughs> touch to what tag team wrestling uh, showcasing all its best moments. I think uh, Grant. I think in terms of this tag match, I think a lot of people are going to be comparing it with the one that we saw earlier in the year, even though it feels like a lifetime ago because it was fans there between the Bucks and uh, Omega and Paige, you know, how would you uh, compare these matches? How would you state this recent match in terms of the one earlier in the year? I would put this match as probably my contender for AEW's match of the year. It ticked every single box for me. Um, I'm a huge Bucks fan. Love FTR. Um, I felt that the build-up towards all this has been cleverly done. Um, Maybe the only closest thing to a weakness on it is the whole kind of Bucks kind of seemingly turning a bit heel over the last few weeks. But FTR are already the clear heel team, so when you're going into it, it does leave you a bit in muddied waters. And if if you're thinking of old school good and bad storytelling, but for the purpose of the story, the build and everything, the match was fantastic. Um, my only concern then is if the reports about one of the Bucks injuries are actually true, how much longer can they keep hold of those belts? Because going on a, a, a worn ACL and stuff like that isn't, a, isn't the best idea in the world. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one, Alan, because obviously, as Grant said, there's rumours of uh, Matt Jackson having an ACL injury in a match that picked up against Butcher and Blade. But there's also talk that FTR, this might be their one and done in terms of that. The part of the, they only really came in for this match with the Bucks. Uh, they might want to go elsewhere, you know, and test the waters in other in other companies. How did you think that this could the future of the tag division could be if this if the Bucks aren't due a long run and FTR could be gone from the company? Um, it'd be disappointing. I mean, I won't lie. Like, FTR and WWE, I just didn't get it. I just didn't like them. I thought they were jobbers. And they were treated as jobbers as such as well, but they have been terrific in AEW. Um, for me, the Bucks are this gen. I know, th- <laughs> I know they're not them, but they're this generation is Hardy's, Edge and Christian, three P, Roman and one. They are the team that is generating the buzz of the tag team wrestling. As far as I'm concerned, AEW's strongest category is the tag team division. Um, so I mean, it'd be a, it'd be a kick in the teeth if FTR do go, but they've got uh, ideas about going to Japan and wrestling elsewhere you know fair play to them I hope we'll see them in the UK once you know people can start going back to shows 
Um, but I don't think overall it would be too catastrophic because the tag division is really, really strong. Best friends are doing some excellent work. You've got Pride of Powerful, who are another phenomenal tag team. Uh, you've got uh, Jurassic Express, who are absolutely sensational. I really, really like them. Uh, I don't think they're going to be tag team for too much longer. I think it's only time before Luchasaurus goes for the big belt. But the tag division, that's just some of the people I just mentioned I know now, like Sarah, who's a huge fan of Evo Uno in the Dark Order. There's, the whole the whole division's absolutely scattered with talent, so I wouldn't be upset or worried about it. It'd be disappointing, but there's enough quality there for people to come up and challenge the Bucks. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a long reign. As you see, if the injury is legit, which reading the rumours it is, uh, I don't see him um, being tag champions for the new year. I'd be very surprised. Cause, uh, another, another name that you could chuck in there is... Uh... Ricky Starts and Brian Cage. Yeah. I would I mean, chuck them in there. I think they're What about uh, Private Party? They have a victory over the Young yeah. Bucks already. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, I just need a handful of users still naming more. There's more. And then there'll be singles competitors putting them. I wouldn't just buy to see Jericho and MGF for up the tag team at some point, you know. Uh, the, the whole the whole card is stacked. And it's, as I said, it's the strongest department. I've got no worries about it. I'd be disappointed if they go. But. Um, it's not going to be like, for example, if uh, you know the New Day left WWE. It's a huge hole. We feel they don't really have that other team that can come up and stand up anymore. Maybe other than the Viking Raiders, they, they don't really have anyone else. Whereas AW have got so much talent, so I wouldn't be too disappointed in it. I wouldn't be disappointed. Uh, the other, the, the main event of this show was one completely different type of match from what we saw in this tag match between John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. It was an I quit match for the AW World Championship. Uh, Grant, we talk about putting a body on the line. Eddie Kingston goes out here. He puts on a show. And for anybody who wasn't familiar with Eddie Kingston uh, in the spring, he's definitely up there showing why he was one of the best in the world. Hi, Eddie Kingston, I mean, I've seen him a few times live now. Um, seen him like against Gresham in progress. I've seen him against um, Rory Coyle, is that his name again? Um, and North Wrestling. You give Kingston a microphone, you're guaranteeing absolute pure gold. And you put him in the, in the ring, he will tell you a story. And him and Moxley's match, I loved it because it was brutal. It was uncomfortably violent. But compared to some of the other violent matches I've had in AEW, where things get a little bit over the top, you know, everyone talks about Moxley and Omega, the big spot with the barbed wire and stuff like that. You go for that, it was uncomfortable, but it felt realistic. The, the little touches with the barbed wire, the bat, the, the thumbtacks, that was brutal. Mm. Dave, you there, you're grimacing, you know. I know how much you're officiado of this hardcore style of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's just the spots really that sort of did it for me. Like, that um, that bulldog choke with a barbed wire, I'm thinking, oh my god, like, even my throat felt sore just watching that. But I think it was this match lived up to the brutality because of one or two sort of key spots. Uh, like, obviously, you know, the action went to the outside, you know, in the barriers and stuff, but, you know, we've seen that quite a lot. But when you get a barbed wire baseball bat and thumbtacks involved, you might think, you know, am I facing Eddie Kingston or am I facing Mick Foley? It's like, that's how extreme it got. And the, uh, I think the, 
the, the last time I think Moxley defeated Kingston, he used the Bulldog choke, but obviously, you know, he couldn't just submit. Uh, so adding the barbed wire to it, it was a nice sort of uh, th throwback to that moment. And I'm surprised, like, did, was it was Kingston actually bleeding from the mouth afterwards? Because it looked like, uh, you know, it looked like he'd suffered like a lot of, uh, a lot of like internal damage as a result. Oh, this surprised me. He's a, he's, he's a, hard, he's a hardcore bastard. Mm. He, he did a bit, and he also smashed his phone. <laughs> oh yeah, he did afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I'll admit, you know, it wasn't maybe as hardcore as like CZW or whatever. But you know what? I think for the brutality, for what we got, I think it was actually pretty decent. And Alan, with John Moxley retaining, it's now full steam ahead for the rematch from Full Gear last year, as Grant mentioned. We're now going to get Moxley versus Omega for the AEW World Title down the line. Moxley's swatted aside every challenger he's faced this year. Kingston's obviously one of them. We had Brody Lee, Brian Cage, Lance Archer, obviously took the title from Jericho. Is Omega the man to end the reign of Mox? I believe so. Um, the company's is over a year old now. Moxley, if I understand correctly, this, hasn't been beaten since he joined the company. The only match I'm, I'm aware of that he's lost it's a tag title match with Pac, and Pac took the pinfall. So he's unbeaten in AEW, technically. If, I'll happily stand corrected if I'm wrong. Because he, he did his he, he yeah. Pac in the match, I'm sure. Yeah, he turns <laughs> on Pac and leaves him, but he right. himself is undefeated in AEW. Um, I, think he's, uh, I think he's undefeated since he left WWE, because he's had a couple yeah, of matches in other companies, and he had the yeah. Bloodsport match a couple of a weeks ago as well. Yeah. I think he's, and, he's, his win loss record is currently 21 and 0 after full gear. Mm -hmm. I think there's no shame in losing to Omega. I think Omega's one of the top five in the world. He's sensational. Um, so I, I, I think Omega's the man to take it. Uh, it'll be good to have a heel again because it looks like he's going to turn full heel. Uh, so it'll be good to have a heel as a champion again. Um, but Mox has done really well. He's brought a bit of prestige. And honour to the title, I think. Um, Jericho did as well, but he's taken it an extra step because it was a brand new company. Um, I think he's done excellent as champion. He's had loads of good matches. He's performed really, really well under very difficult circumstances. So he's, there's no shame in it. It's not going to knock him. Um, it's not going to be end of the world when he loses, but I think Omega is going to be the next champion. I'd be really shocked if he's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. It, it, We've, these are obviously three matches from the pay-per-view I've picked out to give a wee bit extra weight towards. There's a couple of matches, Dave, I think a few people were swayed upon. I mentioned the Bucks one, but that was not as much of a sway. The other, the two ones I referred to are the women's title match between Akara Shida and Nyla Rose and the elite mm. deletion match between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, which featured, never mm -hmm. thought I'd say this, in November 2020. Hurricane Helms and Gangrel. Uh, it's a weird one, you know. Yeah. Can you understand why these are the matches maybe people weren't so uh, as happy about it from, as an AW fan perspective? The second match for the fact that it was more story based and the first mm. match for the build alone. Yeah. The honestly, I think the women's title match. I really wasn't interested in that at all because it was essentially a drawn-out rematch from when Shida first won the title. So I actually, if I'm being honest, I skipped that match entirely. So I couldn't possibly comment on how good so, or bad it was. But sorry, right, Cody did said didn't need, a, didn't need a big build. Cody said, you know, mm. it's fine. 
Right. Uh, but again, you know, we keep coming back to how poorly AEW's women's division's booked at this stage. But uh, for the ultimate deletion between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, I mean, it was in essence a cinematic match, but at the same time, it was actually really, really well put together. I mean, obviously, the cameos from Hurricane and Gangrel were like, like sort of nice to haves. But oh my God, they were shooting firework launchers at each other. Like, what kind of sane people would do that sort of thing? Matt Hardy's not sane. Matt Hardy is not safe. That, that's, that's a standard spot for the deletion matches with Hardy. He's always done that. Right. Uh, but then, the, obviously, the sort of concerto-style finisher as well. It had some brutality behind it, and then dumping him in the bin before being driven away in the pickup truck. I mean, I suppose that was a good way to wrap it up. So I, I think you're, you're right. In terms of storytelling, this one was definitely more appealing. But uh, I, th I think it sort of soured on me a bit, given what happened last time with the... What happened to, I think it was all out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the, the spot that didn't go. Yeah. Uh, Grant, I'll come to you on the on this the other, another match because you're probably best placed to tell about his previous, uh, before his AEW run, was uh, John Silver and a losing effort to Orange Cassidy. He's the little angry man of the Dark Order. He's winning a lot of fans, not just for his work in being the elite he's seems to be the man who's standing out the most in that stable and there's a lot of men in that stable John Silver's really came on a lot and uh, you know for the fact that he looks like the love child of Brody Lee and um, the primate from NXT UK um, <laughs> he's he's actually he's actually been a, a really fantastic performer and you know I'm kind of hoping that they, they do something with him because his match with Orange Cassidy was brilliant like the, reversing the DDT just by squatting and using his power to turn it into a suplex that was beautiful and it's I'm like right this guy needs to get a bit of a push even if it's just get him a bit of build and give him a shot against the new TNT champion for example that could be a fun match mm -hmm. yeah Alan as Grant mentioned we got a new TNT world champion because you know, Cody had to win the belt to then drop it again to Darby. No nah, joke. Uh, Darby <laughs> Allen, the new TNT uh, champion. Anybody who's watched AEW since the beginning knows there has been some sort of story between Cody and Darby. But and they finally pulled the trigger on Darby Allen after what feels like they should have done this from the start with his stuff he was doing with Jericho and obviously Cody. Yeah, he's finally reaped the rewards. Uh, deserving to win it. Um, he's got a lot of talent. He's got a bright, bright future ahead of him. Uh, I do believe he's going to be a future world champion. So this will be a good taster to see how he reacts as champion. Um, I expect it, I expect it to go well. I expect it to do well. And I'm looking forward to seeing what rivalry he has uh, with other superstars and so forth. Uh, yeah, Cody coming back and winning it was a bit of a kick in the teeth, but reading some of the reports about how he was never meant to lose it, because he had to go off to do some reality show, so that's why Cody Lee won in the first place. Um, whether that's true, I'm not 100% sure, but that's what a lot of the reports are actually saying, so I can kind of understand why they had to do that, and how it kept, but it also did damage the TNT title. But hopefully now, finally, it's on the right guy, he can get a decent one with it. And I'm hoping for some good stories coming out of it. I think he's got real potential with him as the champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you talked about that, Dave. It kind of 
didn't really stead Brody Lee in the best part. You know, I, I, I would have loved to mm. see Darby take the title from Brody Lee. I thought that would have been quite a good story. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think Darby should have been the one to take it off Brody Lee. I mean, there was no need for for Cody just to win it back and then lose it a couple of weeks later. I think it was, uh, I think it was kind of pointless, really. No, Darby Allen, he's been sort of. Uh, he could have easily had a, a, a long-running feud with the with the Dark Order, and you know him overcoming the odds. You know, given you know he's he's not the biggest guy in AEW, and he feels like he's been held back a lot. You know, I don't know if it's because of you know guys like uh, you're taking center stage more, such as the Inner Circle and Omega and Hangman and stuff. But I mean, it's it's been a long time coming for Darby Allen, and I hope he takes the ball and, and runs with it because he is a very very popular superstar with the AEW fans. Yeah, it's interesting. It looks like he's going to be continuing his feud with uh, Tazzy's stable. Guys, I mentioned earlier on, Ricky Starks and Brian Cage. Will Hobbs is in about that feud, so there's some potential um, matches in there as well. And Grant, the other match on the card, on the main card, was uh, MGF defeating Chris Jericho. Two paper, two pay-per-view losses in a row for Jericho. Now, he's lost three out of four this year, which is incredible. Uh, it shows how much he's putting over the roster. Uh, MGF and Warlow now part of the inner circle which could make things a lot very interesting going forward there's a lot of dynamics that could come from this we could see a Jericho face turn we could see MGF taking control of the inner circle from him it's a very logical storyline move going forward in a good way that they could make MGF a bigger star than he is because kind of some people think he was damaged a wee bit from that feud with Mox yeah, I mean, I can see why some people are saying that. I'll be honest, with this match, I felt it wasn't either man's best match. Um, something about it didn't quite click for me. Good storyline for it, good build-up story-wise, but just certain things about it... Um, like, I definitely think it's, it's possibly they're going to lead to, like, the, as you're saying, the Jericho face turn, MGF going to take control, but... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's about MGF. His character work is second to none. I've never hated a, a heel as much in such a long time but his in-ring ability to me has still got a lot of work but he is very young so there is room for that to improve I, I would completely agree with you on that one I've been saying that since the start of the year I was very underwhelmed by his match with Cody especially mm. given the build I think the three week build to their match on Dynamite is arguably one of the best TV builds to a match we've seen in the last decade in America especially America especially and the match just was a drab, you know. Uh, I actually think his best in-ring match was with Jungle Boy. I think he's done his best in-ring work with Jungle Boy. Mm. Agreed entirely. Yeah. I I'd, think he would. What I liked about this, I liked the the lie cheat steel spot he did with uh, Jericho was tossed a baseball bat. MJF does the oh good god I fallen over uh, motion and uh, yeah I mean the. Jericho almost getting disqualified. That would have been uh, maybe a nice touch to it, but with the sneaky roll-up as well. I mean, that was the second one we'd seen that night as well, with the first obviously being Darby Allen pinning Cody after the roll-up. But um, it was it, those those were two roll-ups actually done very well because it was genuinely shocking to see them pull off victories in that in that style. Yeah, uh, very fitting the light sheet steel spot given 15 years today of time of recording since Eddie Guerrero's last match on SmackDown, mm. Mr. Kennedy. So it's a good timing to be doing that type of sport. Ricochet did it a couple of weeks ago as well. Uh, a lot of tributes to the great man Eddie Guerrero. Um, so, many people are saying this is AEW's best pay-per-view of the year. Would you guys be inclined to agree with that? Mm, 
Yes. Not the best of all time, but definitely best of the year. I'd say for me, it's definitely the best of the year. Um, a lot of a lot of polarizing matches in regards to. I felt that some matches were complete misses, but the few just taking like three the three that we went in depth on the tag match, Hangman and um, Omega, and the main event. Those three alone made that pay per view absolutely stellar for me. Uh, I've not seen it yet, but what I've read, what I've read uh, it looks like it's been an absolute belter. It looks like it's been a really strong pay-per-view. So, based on purely what I've read, um, I'd say so. I'm low for definitely come the weekend. Yeah, definitely. AW Full Gear, one of the a great pay-per-view and well worth the watch. Uh, sticking with AW, and overnight, they have an- finally announced, after many, many months of teasing, that they will be introducing a trio of video games. Two mobile-based ones, a general manager game and a casino-based game. And mm-hmm. a general console game type idea. Now, I'm lucky that I've been blessed with three gaming panellists here. Uh, <laughs> uh, who will kind of help me talk a bit more about it as a man who plays FIFA predominantly. Uh, <laughs> Grant, the... Um, it's a prototype, so there's early signs, but it's good that we're seeing three games off the bat as opposed to just like the one general console game. I I think when you look at the um, the development team involved, their history in wrestling games and that, yeah, it, it looks a bit rough at the moment. But you know, we don't even know if it's an alpha build or what. We don't know how far in development is. And did they even mention what consoles yet? You know, it's uh, the, 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 the next generation. So there you go, PS5 and that. Gen so. as well, I think they said yeah. as well. I was more focused on the attire that Kenny and Cody were wearing. What the feck? Were they trying to look like... <laughs> it was the Turtle Decks and that type of stuff. They were trying to Steve Jobs, yeah. Uh, Steve Jobs, exactly. I, I don't know why... It, it, it was just like... I, I never made that one. They were trying to add a bit of comedy to it and stuff. Like they were un- It's like Apple and really that you brought up. Like AEW thinks they're big as Apple, but I mean, they are a big company and they've got a lot of financial backing, but I don't think anybody... They're not a big... They're not... A, they're, they're a startup company with a big backer. Let's, mm. be, let's be... Let's be... Put them right to us. They're better to be a startup company with morals than a financial giant who... I think the fun fact... There's mm. a fun fact to take from it. Aubrey herself said that she always wanted to be in one of these sort of panels unveiling a video game. She just never expected that she would have to leave the video games industry and join the wrestling mm. industry for that to happen. Which yeah, I she, used to work in, she used to work in mobile phone like game development, didn't she? Yeah, she she was a... Uh, so, you know, they, like they chose the right people from their roster and that who are known to be gamers themselves to unveil. Mm-hmm. And I'm... I'm I'm looking forward to it. If they give it the proper development time and they don't do the old WWE method of let's churn one out every year, we're in for a treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan, you mentioned before this, you weren't, even though it's a prototype, you didn't like what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, forget that it's a prototype. I am not a fan of 2K. I think 2 games gameplay is slow. I don't think these graphics are particularly good. Um, I, th- I think they've really start. it's a very start-stop. Uh, I just don't like it. I'm not a fan of Ukes either. Um, I'm quite disappointed who it is. I was really hoping to see EA maybe get involved because there's been rumours they're going to get involved in the next WWE game. And I hope they'd maybe try to go AEW because I think them as a game developer are far superior to anything 2 k has got out there at the moment. Uh, yeah, the graphics were atrocious, but again, as Spank mentioned, it's 
a prototype. We don't know what stage it's at. Uh, however, I'm quite interested in the mobile side of it. Um, no, I'm not a gambler, so I'm not really focused too much on the gambling side. But the the general manager game, I'm quite intrigued in that because I love sim- simulation games like Football Manager. It's my all-time favorite game. I'm hooked to Football Manager. The beta's uh, out this. The, beta, the new beta's out this week. I know the beta's already out. It's oh, out now. that's too. Um, that no reason I'm not playing it right now because I'm here. <laughs> so uh, I'm quite interested in that, and it'd be good to kind of. Again, you get the option. Everyone talks about what the team scenarios would be and what we do. Because what I would do would be totally different from what David would want to do, vice versa to yourself and Grant. So to see what you would want to do play out would be quite exciting and quite intriguing. The fact that you do it on your phone as well. So when life does get back to normal when you're on the train or the bus to work, play that for 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long you're on it, uh, past the time makes the journey a bit more bearable. So that would be quite good. But regards to the next gen, uh, I think I will be. I'm getting my PS5 turns up next Thursday. Uh, EW's game will not be on my list when it's released. Like, put it that way. Bold. Uh, David, Grant mentioned the team behind. I believe it's the team behind the famous No Mercy game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what gives me a little bit of optimism behind the. The development of this game uh obviously you know wwf no mercy was a, a big seller maybe only just behind uh, here comes the pain which still is one of my favorite wrestling games to this day um Ux has had some experience working on like the smackdown versus raw games when they started coming out so there is they do there is some experience behind them developing wrestling games and stuff but obviously that was like 15 years ago when they first started and nowadays you know you've got you've got 4k you've got uh, augmented reality you've got all this big technological development when it comes to gaming so i mean i wouldn't judge it you know based on what we've seen so far particularly the the console game that is in development because again it's still it's still a, an alpha or a beta stage at this stage so i I'd, I'd be patient with it you know it might turn out to be absolutely fantastic i like what they've done with the whole um the casino mobile game as well because that's kind of how aew started up to begin with you know their first big pay-per-view was double or nothing in las vegas there they hosted it at the MGM Grand. It has that big casino vibe about it. And, you know, they they put a lot of money on the table to say, we're starting up a new wrestling company. Let's go out and make it big. So in a way, AEW getting set up, you know, was a gamble in the first place. So how very fitting that they have a casino themed game, uh, you know, for that company. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So plenty of exciting stuff coming out of AEW right now. Now, before we move on to our more WWE and then everything else portion of the show, we have been joined here on this week's edition of ESSR Central by a man who, well, I could list all the places that he writes, but I could be here all day, from the likes of the Daily Star, from Mirror WWE, TalkSport, and uh, fans say the DDT. I'm pleased to be joined, or we're pleased to be joined, by Maddy, Matty, Paddock, Matty, thanks for joining us. That's no problem, Matty will do, I don't mind, any which way you like. How are we doing, gentlemen? Uh, how you doing, Matty? Fantastic. Yeah, we're good, thank you. Very well, Matty. How are you? Yeah, we're good, thank you. Not too bad at all. Brilliant. Uh, Matty, I said, oh, uh, joining Dave, Alan and Grant here on this week's ESSR Central. Matty, I'm going to come to you on our, next, our first talking point from WWE, and it's over the last week we've kind of seen WWE badge Survivor Series round The Undertaker as 30 years of The Undertaker, and there's a lot of talk that this could be them officially waving him off into the sunset in some sort of way. What's your thoughts on the whole Undertaker's final farewell? 
Yeah, I, I would like to think it's a safe assumption that we're not going to see him physically active um, at any time during Survivor Series. I think he kind of, uh, without saying, he was definitely retired, so to speak, kind of hinted at that, really, because there's not really, certainly without the lack of a live crowd, I don't think there's nothing really uh, enticing enough uh, on the WWE menu, so to speak, to attract The Undertaker, I don't think so. Um, I guess maybe the most visible we could see is, is a beatdown from someone. Does The Undertaker, is his final send-off on WWE program getting a beatdown on his way to putting down, putting over someone younger, perhaps, maybe? It's a it's a terrifying thought for the long-time Undertaker fans who want to give him that kind of, um, you know, hero's send-off, so to speak. But I think visually, without a live crowd, it's going to have to be something quite striking and... And perhaps maybe retribution, something like that. Is that is that too? Yeah, exactly. That, no, that would be it's, my it's, initial it's, thought. But it's past it now for them. It's they're, they're past the self ID. You know, um, I would it. love it. If, I would love it if Survivor Series ended with him taking out every single member of Retribution. You know, he took he choke slams T-Bar, he last rides uh, Slapjack, and then he tombstones Mustafa Ali. I mean, that oh, would just be symbolic me of Retribution. It tombstones me, yeah. <laughs> Reckoning oh, no, gets no, a tombstone. I think even for their, but even by their own standards, WWE, they've been pretty much in in wrestling terms burying retribution for a good month or so now. So surely they can't damage them. They'd kill them completely by having the Undertaker run through them. And yet it seems probably plausible. Theoretical. <laughs> A theoretical burying and an actual burying from the dead man himself. Uh, Grant, you mentioned the fiend. Now, that's an interesting concept. Yeah, I think that's a you know it, it kind of comes across as that kind of over the top character that you had with the Undertaker over the years. So, who more fitting to pass the kind of mantle of that? You know, has to be, appears for the big events is there to kind of set up. You know, the fiend doesn't need to have a perfect win record. Then the Undertaker didn't, apart from Mania, almost until the streak got broken. So. To me, it would be a really clever idea if you can use the Fiend and the Alexa Bliss sort of thing. Um, the Undertaker could further that. Yeah, the Alexa Bliss stuff has been really good in recent weeks. She's uh, she's hitting the ball at the park, so to speak, in terms of things like that. Uh, Alan, one aspect of the Survivor Series uh, whole Undertaker thing that's been uh, talked about and pretty much confirmed is Savio Vega is going to be there. You know... Uh, you know, he's, he's well known as being a good friend of the Undertaker. Uh, you mentioned on our show this week when you talked about Undertaker's 1995 Survivor Series team, and Savio Vega was a part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your thoughts on seeing him back in the WWE arena after God knows how long? It'll be really good. Um, I wonder. I don't know what he looks. I've not googled him to see what he looks like now, so I don't know. I don't want to be disappointed. It's going to be an old man that turns up or not. But I think it'll be good because I, th- I think if th- I agree with Grant. We're never going to make take a road down his back. The fiend's the only feasible option, but I can't see it happening. Um, he's going to go out, you know, standing tall, walking on his own legs, you know. And it would be good to see the people that helped him in his career turn up and pay homage to him. You know, like Ted DiBiase, we first came out with for the first the nineteen ninety Survivor Series. So I really hope it goes like that, and you know, it's. It'll be good to see Sammy play. Now, also, I'm kind of expecting take it to break character. I'm, I'm expecting tears. I'm expecting Kayfabe to go out the window on this one. 
Um, which I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna be blubbering like a big idiot when that happens. Because I mean, one year you're just gonna be somebody you've grown up with your whole life, pretty much. It's gonna be hard to watch, but it's the perfect. I think it's the perfect way for him to go. He started there. It's the perfect place for him to finish. Uh, Matty, you've interviewed a lot of uh, wrestlers in your time. Have you ever spoke to Savio Vega? Is he on your list? <laughs> well, he should be on every um, journalist worth their salt. Should be on every list. No, I've not had the pleasure, but uh, yeah, I too in very much enjoyed uh, Los Bariquas and all things late 1990s WWE. So yeah, it's a quirk, if anything else, but definitely looking forward to seeing that. Um, my only my other concern, kind of kind of all being veteran watchers of WWE as we are is that WWE could of course be setting up The Undertaker's final farewell to be anything but is this the start of an entirely new program or a, a longer presence for him on TV maybe could, it might be a big uh, could be a ruse you never know it could actually be the start of something it's interesting to kind of see but uh, BT Sport I've got this whole big thing He's, they've shown all the documentaries they've got everything on the network the, the Paul Bearer documentary came out that past Sunday. If you've not watched that, I'd highly recommend it. Looking forward to the Brothers of Destruction one next week as well. It's a lot of stuff in there. So they, they, they put it on a plate for them to go off into the sunset. Whether they actually do it or not is the question, you know, is WWE, you know. Uh, his last anniversary Survivor Series, he buried the Wyatt family, you know. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he could bury Retribution. I think it, it would just be a very un-WWE thing for them to do, to actually give them a very fitting, sentimental, fond farewell where everything's sweet and lovely, don't you think? I would think that's almost the last thing I'm expecting. Yes, I agree. I, I don't see I it think coming. there'd be an absolute riot if they did that to Undertaker. Mm. Ah, but uh, Undertaker's always... He's, he's, in all these documentaries recently, the last right, I mean, David, you... Um, Led the review of our last the last three documentaries on the on our channel. He, mm-hmm. he came across as a guy who just wants to put people over, you know. So there's not out of the realm of possibility that he could use his final farewell to put somebody over, you know. He did at one point look like he was going to put Nexus over, and then he then you know they buggered mm-hmm. Nexus up anyway before that. So Retribution kind of felt fits that fits that same area, you know. Yeah, possibly. Um... But obviously, in the last Red documentary, you got to see how 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 human the Undertaker is. You know, obviously being Mark Calloway. Uh, and watching that documentary, I never realised like how much was going on behind the scenes or how he felt about himself and his performance uh, personally. But it just goes to show how much devotion he has to the company and to Vince McMahon. So, I mean, I like to keep my possibilities open. I think if wishful thinking is if he goes on top. Yeah, I think he has to bury retribution because they're a stage for a lost cause. But if he's able to put somebody over, I think he needs to stay off the feed. Because given what happened at the 25th anniversary five years ago, they obviously Undertaker and Kane are the ones that actually put over. Well, they they buried the Wyatt family essentially, so that will give Bray Wyatt a reason to get back at him on on the 30th anniversary. So it would not surprise me if he has a face off with the fiend. The Fiend gives him the Mandible Claw, and then the Undertaker gets carried out by Druids at the end with the lighting going all like blue and purple and stuff, and that would indicate that the, the character's been written off finally. Yeah, but if you know anything about Undertaker history, the Druids carrying him off usually means he's going to come back in five weeks. <laughs> so, 
There's no way. It needs to put the fist up in the air, you know, but they had the chance of that at WrestleMania a few years ago. But we're interested to see, you know, Survival Series is a week and a half away, so we'll see what happens then. We'll move on now to uh, a subject that we've talked about a lot in this show over the last number of weeks, and it's around the Thunderdome. And we've talked in the past about how the Thunderdome could be set for a new home, especially because the deal with the Thunderdome is ending in a, a matter of weeks' time. And Grant, the the rumoured new home for the Thunderdome, according to Wrestling Observer, is the, the Tropicana Field, which is a baseball stadium in Florida. Now, we've seen WWE use baseball stadiums in the past. The last two Royal Rumbles have been in baseball stadiums. So even without any fans, potentially, for the immediate future, what's your thoughts of them using a baseball field again for the entire WWE programming? I mean, it's a... Uh it's an interesting idea i mean we've seen baseball stadiums can be brilliant i mean new japan done it just the other month there as well with a, an outdoor show but you know is the size of it is like i have no idea how big the baseball stadiums are in america that much because i find baseball an awfully boring sport <laughs> but you know if it's if it's not comically sized it's good, <clears throat> the production could work well go yankees <laughs> oh man uh, I'm trying to actually find out much how much it holds uh, I can't see too many see how much it holds the usual capacity the usual is between 20 to 60,000 it holds apparently I would bet, yeah. 25,042 if you count tarp seats so how many Thunderdome monitors is that then <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I mean, Dave, we kind of spoke previously about, you know, they need something that can control the power of the Thunderdome. I'm not saying that in some sort of mythical way. It's just a lot of electricity for it. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think this type of... A baseball stadium's perfect because they use a lot of LEDs in that one yeah. for the scoreboards. Uh, it's kind of hard to say because obviously, you know, as Grant said, I think the, the baseball stadium is quite would be quite large considering you know there's going to be a very limited there's still going to be very limited crowds i think what the thunderdome had you know with the the led boards and the zoom screen setup it actually felt like a genuine proper taping again so i'm not really sure how they're going to accommodate you know if they're still going to do the zoom screens or they're going to start bringing people back because either way it's just going to feel like a massive echo chamber and if they do get fans back on the ground they're going to be so far spread out and there would be so much like so much air of noise to fill it's, it's just gonna lack a little bit of atmosphere atmosphere really and at least with the thunderdome they can pipe in crowd noise as well so i'm a bit skeptical about moving to a baseball stadium but i, I think maybe it's just because i think the thunderdome is working really well but there's only so far uh, uh matty we spoke before you joined us about the the covid vaccine obviously what that can mean for wrestling one of the things we speculate is when we could see crowds again you think WWE are gearing up for the possibility of trying to get a crowd for the Rumble with this baseball stadium move? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think he, he's kind of been um, fairly vocal about being at the very forefront of, of that as Vince, hasn't he, in terms of whenever live sporting fans are back in North America, he wants to kind of be up there um, pioneering that, really. So, yeah, w wherever they'll appear, you can imagine it'll be at a WWE event sooner rather than later. But... I think just with regards to the Thunderdome, it's about kind of trying to evolve that concept for them, I guess, because although it is very innovative, it's, it's interactive and, and visually it looks great, but kind of 
once we've had maybe a month or two of the Thunderdome, I wouldn't say the ideas run its course necessarily, but you can see why they're needing maybe to try and add some variation to it and add something a little bit different because whilst it's a great experience, maybe if you're sitting at home looking for yourself on TV, I wonder now maybe whether the, the initiative uh, itself kind of has, has kind of, I wouldn't say become old style already, but have we seen as much as we can see from it is there a way to to get more from people sitting at home watching on on the television i'm not sure it may be that uh but it has pretty much reached its limit without actually physically getting bums back on seats or on bleachers maybe so that is probably where we're heading i would have thought yeah i mean you know fight things would have liked if kind of has something for survivor series but sadly things for not went the way in that but alan one thing we've noticed about survivor series in this past week is that the the raw team the Royal men's team is starting to take shape and we now have the fifth member of team raw uh the men's team official matt riddle or simply riddle which is a riddle to me why they took away his first name has joined keith lee aj styles broad Strowman, and sheamus on the men's team for raw uh to take on the team from smackdown which is kevin owens jay uso baron corbin and i can't remember the fourth name uh, I don't know. I can't remember the Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins. Thank you. I can't. Why did I forget Seth? He's my fave. Uh, how do you think that's shaping up? <laughs> that meant that five on five match, Alan. I think it's potentially going to be a cracking match. Um, a lot of big, strong superstars in it. Yeah, I think the Raw team is a pretty much a dream team of the top talent in the show. Pretty much out with the title picture. Um, I think it's going to be really exciting, really interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they treat the likes of Riddle and Keith Lee, since they've just came up from NXT, to see if Lee's going to get the same push they did last year, or is it going to be Riddle that takes over? Um, I do expect they're going to turn on each other. Um, I've got no doubt on that. Uh, I expect to see Broman and Sheamus probably cost each other. Uh, so, I, I, but although I've seen, I think, the raw team's more is stronger. My money would be on the the male Survivor Series team going victory going to the SmackDown team. I think just because of the Fox backing and also the way that Roman is pushing Jay, I just can't see SmackDown losing. Yeah, uh, David, it's, uh, it's interesting how they're going to go with this one because they seem to be having this whole raw inter squabbling, and on SmackDown they don't really seem to be doing anything. So mm-hmm. you you mentioned on that Dream Survivor series show team show this week about this whole brand versus brand thing. You know, do you think it's becoming a wee bit diluted? This whole the way that they do this, especially not so soon after a draft. Uh, not necessarily. I think I'm actually really enjoying the whole like uh, brand supremacy. I think that's kind of you know it's that time of year. You know, Survivor series is meant to be shows competing against each other. What I didn't like about Survivor series in previous years is them just putting random Survivor Series teams together at the last minute and just saying, face V heels, go. Right. At least with this, you know, you can ha- you can build a, build a story behind it. You know, you have, the teams always squabble with each other. There's nothing new about that, but it makes you wonder, you know, is this what's gonna cost them the win at Survivor Series? Like, and it's usually the team that squabbles the most is usually the one that ends up winning. Uh, so I wouldn't bet against Raw entirely because, you know, when you've got guys like Braun Strowman, AJ Styles on that team. Uh, and you know, Braun Strowman's record in Survivor Series matches, you know, speaks for itself. And given how well Keith Lee did last year in the in the three-way match, 
it wouldn't surprise me if they came out with a win, maybe two coming out on top. But then again, obviously, you've got the whole women's <laughs> video still angle developing on SmackDown. I think it would um, it'd be quite interesting to see how that ties into this. It might not even tie into it at all. So I think I would see this match actually going towards the Raw men's team and the SmackDown women will defeat the Raw women. It's an interesting one. And uh, Matty, we've also got two matches lined up for this week's Raw. We've got Drew McIntyre's getting his rematch against Randy Orton for the WWE title. And we've also got the U-Day taking on the Hurt Business for the Raw Tag Team Championships. Now, WWE, I've been known in the past to throw some curveballs with these title versus title matches. We've seen it in the past with the likes of Daniel Bryan taking AJ Styles' place and AJ Styles taking on Dave's favourite Jinder Mahal's place in past years. Could you see a similar curveball happening this year? Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of WWE's uh, biannual predictability isn't it really and I think is it three years now I think since AJ Styles won the title in Manchester you know a great night for all of those who were in attendance but there was mm-hmm. the logic at least that it brought uh, to an end uh, Jinder Mahal's run which at the time some people felt kind of had run its course um, but if they flip possibly uh, the, the Raw title so to speak back to Drew McIntyre to put him up against Roman for me it cut short Randy Orton's momentum and it kind of that was the combination of, of a great storyline Randy Orton finally gaining the WWE title if he loses it again inside a couple of weeks it kind of renders some of that meaningless for me really so I really hope that's not where we're headed but I suspect you may well be right it's interesting where it goes but we'll see I'd be annoyed if they took the titles off the U-Day because U-Day versus Street Profits is the match I'm looking forward to seeing the most on that card, but we'll see how it goes. They say Survivor Series is shaping up to be quite an event. You know, we could see me and him getting a tombstone. We never know. <laughs> uh, Grant, I'm <laughs> going to move on to you for my next point. You may be surprised why I'm moving on to you by this point, but uh, we're going to SmackDown with the whole Murphy and Aaliyah Mysterio, you know, our favourite ladies, the Mysterio ladies. Um, and apparently, according to Dave Meltzer, that WWE are using an angle run by Conan in Puerto Rico and CWC and that we could soon be seeing a wrestling wedding between Aaliyah and Murphy and it's partly going to end up being that Seth Rollins orchestrated this whole big thing to get back at the Mysterios you know I come to you because you seem like out of our panellists the most close to the Conan CWC promotion you may have actually seen some stuff I can't see Dave watching it uh, what's your thoughts? I'll be honest, this whole storyline with the two of them makes me feel very, very uncomfortable because the the age difference for a start, she's like, what, 19, he's about 32 and on the back of the speaking out movement and that, this, if, if people look on Twitter, if they were to actually pay attention to people's views on Twitter, they would see this is not well received and this, this feud seems to be longer than time itself as well. How long can they stretch this out? Are they going to wait until like they have grandchildren to bring into this feud as well? <laughs> uh, yeah, Alan. Uh, I've seen a thing online about Rey Mysterio. Uh, he's had a pretty rough year. He got thrown off a building. He lost his eye, and now his daughter has ran off into the arms of the hunky Australian, <laughs> who is who also lost his first name and got it back and lost it again 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's been a hell of a year, but you know what? When Ray Mysterio Jr. 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 turns up, you know, to save the day, you know, in 25 years' time, it'll be all worth it. Um, yeah, it's, I, I feel really quite bad for him. I feel like they're just shitted on him this year. And he's tried to me. I feel like this storyline is on his arse. It died months ago for me. Uh, and it's a shame he's tried to make it work. He's got the family involved, but I'm bored of this. And again, it's, I, I know they're pushing towards the wedding. If this happens, it's just going to be like the Lana Bobby Lashley thing all over again. And we don't want to go back to that. We all talked about how much we hated that whole thing. Um, so I, I really feel for him for the guy who's given so much to not just that company, but the industry itself. I just feel he's been shouting, and I think it's crap. I think he deserves better. And start putting them with people we want to see them with. Start putting them with title pictures. Um, this is done. Let it go. Yeah, Dave, there's so much better things that both Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio could be doing on SmackDown. They teased it a couple of weeks ago with uh, Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins having an interaction in the ring. You know, should this be put to bed? Not Aliyah and Murphy. We don't want to see the live sex <laughs> celebration. Between Freezing. That, that would just be that would just be terrible. Should this whole feud just be drawn a line under? It should have been drawn a line under after SummerSlam, I think, with the Dominic Seth match. It's been drawn by the draft. You know, Seth Rollins. You know, he can go off to SmackDown do his own thing, and you know, maybe set off on a new course of you know bringing enlightenment to the, the WWE. And but you know, keep Rey Mysterio, Dominic, and Murphy on Raw, and though they could still do a sort of you know. Murphy can have his redemption story about, you know, him being, you know, kicked out of Seth's uh, partnership and, you know, start afresh. You know, that could sort of make him sympathetic towards the audience and, you know, getting in with, uh, maybe he could sort of tease a flirtation with Aaliyah, but, you know, this was just me fantasy booking. This is, I think WWE doesn't know what to do with it anymore and they're just, um, they've just got to a point, you know, saying, look, let's make it as soap opera and as overly dramatic and possible people people will spot mm-hmm. yeah i wonder where that could go uh matty i'll go to you on our next point and it's we've had a lot of sad uh, releases of wrestlers over the last or just people involved in the company over the last year and this week we saw the release of one of the iconic announcers of wwe's history tony chimmel has been released by WWE, a man who many of us will have seen back to the 90s and obviously during the 2000s. What's your thoughts on Big Tony getting released? Yeah, mm. kind of similar, I guess, to, to Mike Kyoto, really. Um, a, a lot of long-time fans gutted to see both of them go, and Tony, for me, um, although a lot of people might point maybe to Howard Finkel and a couple of others, he was the voice of the Attitude Era in, in many ways, kind of that late 90s. Uh, sort of uh, raw episodes and, and pay-per-views and things. He was he was the go-to guy for ring announcing, and I think a lot of it. And people have said this week after week. These releases coming on the back of multi-multi-million-dollar profits for WWE. I, I, I just don't get really whether to, where Tony Chimmel and ten or twelve others like him are really saving WWE money. Granted, I don't have access to the full financial breakdown and and perhaps the reasons for it but yeah for a guy who's who's given such a long service to the business to now be out of work it, it certainly leaves certainly leaves a bad taste definitely mm-hmm. yeah alan to, to many people tony chimmel is known for his iconic introduction of edge 
you know. <laughs> and in the year that Edge returned to WWE in the Royal Rumble, he had these matches with Randy Orton. He's rumoured to be fighting Orton at WrestleMania for the WWE title. It's a shame that the man who helped make him such a star won't be there at the point where he could, you know, regain the title. Never seen ever because WWE does these releases quite often, quite often put in the past, and they come back fairly quickly. So I would never write it off. Um, I would, I would hope he would come back for that. Because um, if you're right, there's nobody else that delivers that that rated R. Um, you know, Tony Shell for me will go down as one of the top three best ring announcers ever. Uh, nobody's ever going. My, my my personal opinion is nobody's ever going to be ever think of. He is the, the top ring announcer ever. But Tony is not far off that. And again, like as Matty said, that that's a long service and it's it's poor taste in WWE. As I said, this was about Gerald Briscoe, that everything the man's done for Vince and that company. Um it really I understand those business issues and sometimes business decisions need to be made and it's not fair. But when you know WWE are making money hand over fist and they're treating long-serving employees like that. It's just garbage. I mean, could you imagine right now if they turn around three weeks in going, oh, there's an next set of 15 releases and Stone Cold's on that? There'd be absolute uproar. And I'm surprised there's not been already, and I really feel for Tony. Um, I think it's just absolutely abysmal how they're treating the long-serving staff. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's shocking all these releases that we've seen from all these guys who are kind of the likes you mentioned, Gerald Briscoe, Mike Turner, IRS, you know. But, you know, with WWE as a revolving door, and Grant, there is talk of some new signings in WWE in the last week or so. We've talked in uh, recent shows about Ben Carter, WWE pretty much snatching him from AEW. And there's a couple of names who have been linked with WWE in the past couple of days. Two, uh, three of them, very well known for their work in TNA, the Rascals, and another one who you'll be familiar with from his working independent scene of Alex Zane, not the guy from Channel Four programs, the independent star Alex Zane. <laughs> uh, these could be two major uh, major sets of signings for WWE, if true. I mean, the Rascals, I've had the luxury of seeing them live and as a team, they are incredible. They're also capable and as singles guys as well. Uh, Alex Zane, some may see as a surprise, um, but if you get a chance to see his work in GCW, he's also done some work in New Japan's USA stuff recently. The man is absolutely incredible, but my fear is that is this just them buying up the likes of your new versions of Ricochet and Osprey and that high flyers are really innovative and are they actually going to use him for what he's good for? Or are they just go, are they just trying to scoop up the talent again because they realise they're getting popular elsewhere? Mm-hmm. One thing you could argue, Dave, is the NXT roster is getting a wee bit thin. Uh, the likes of mm-hmm. Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano have been there for a long time. WWE, the Ron Smith have called up a lot of stars. It's, the guys like the Rascals especially, the NXT tag division is not what it used to be, you know, so that could add a bit of uh, rejuvenatedness uh, to NXT in a way. Yeah, it's like, this is the thing about NXT, you know, they need to always keep preparing for future stars in the coming years. And, you know, they're always signing, you know, re- new recruits to the Performance Center near enough every year. And we're starting to see that slow drip feed of new talent coming in, uh, you know, every few months. So. 
I think it's good, you know, that they're investing in the in the tag division as well, because in the grand scheme of things, you've got Larkin and Burch, the current champions, you've got Breeze Angle, you've got Undisputed Era, and, you know, you've got a few others there and thereabouts. But, and that, again, that goes to show, I think WWE needs to invest more in its tag teams, and I think scooping up the Rascal is a very good uh, step forward for them. And Matty, we've talked about these indie names, but one other name who's apparently been linked in recent days with a return to WWE, one of the men who was released in the big releases at the start of the pandemic, No Way Jose, is rumoured to be returning to WWE. They've apparently trademarked The Way, and that's why many people are speculating that he's returning. He's also apparently a very good friend of Drew McIntyre. What's your thoughts of the return of the Conga? And no way, Jose. Yeah, entertaining enough stuff, I suppose, and certainly one of Raw and or SmackDown could do with, um, you know, a little bit more cheerfulness each week. To be honest, something to liven things up a bit. But I just, yeah, you kind of think in terms of longevity, if he's with WWE, say another five years, where particularly are they going to put him within that five years? That's going to kind of, kind of make a wave. Um, and I think it's harsh really on kind of all of the talent now coming into WWE and that and you guys have mentioned it in terms of just mopping up the competition so to speak we rarely seem as excited by debutants and returnees in WWE anymore it's more about who AEW is signing or who TNA is signing it, it almost seems like uh, we, we'd rather all the all the names that are out there and available aren't, aren't going to WWE uh, to be honest Does that makes sense it, it's kind of almost a little bit like you almost feel for the guys who are on their way there yeah, it was the same when some of the guys who recently showed up on NXT UK, you were kind of like, oh, they went to NXT UK. Rampage Brown, the recent sign, he's the most recent sign in NXT UK. I think a lot of people thought differently about the Rampage Brown one because he's obviously been about the scene. He's served his time there. He's due a big chance at this stage of his career. But there's a lot of guys, a throwback to an argument on Tyler Bate. A lot of people thought Tyler Bate committed to WWE too soon and we've not seen Tyler Bate in God knows how many months. No idea what's going on with him. So, yeah, you make a good point there, Matty. We've not seen the same excitement with him. I mean, when Ben Carter then recently went there a couple of weeks ago, nobody was going, oh, look, Ben Carter's time for WWE. It's like, why is Ben Carter going to WWE? Exactly, yeah. So, I really hope to see that goes. I hope uh, Rampage Brown reunites with Ashton Smith uh, as POD from uh, as they were in ICW, and I think they could make an excellent heel tag team on NXT UK. Yeah, it's an interesting one where that could go. Uh, you and the, the big thing about WWE, we've seen a lot this year. They're running NXT, especially running a lot of shows with the WCW banners on it, and there's talk that they have acquired some more trademarks on these WCW pay-per-views and we could be seeing a lot of them coming soon the AEW events getting run in January has been named differently because WWE have the trademark to bash at the beach still uh, mm -hmm. what's your thoughts on these whole you know themed events the likes of Halloween Havoc and the Great American Bash that we've seen on NXT uh, I think they're actually you know they're making the most of uh, of using these names in particular with NXT <coughs> excuse me and um yeah, I think it all sort of, they sort of got the ball rolling as well when they brought back War Games initially. So, and it's a good way to, you know, draw in TV ratings every week because obviously they're, they're in a ratings war with AEW. So, and <clears throat> like Halloween Havoc was a, was a massive success as well all, um, 
and this is one of those times where NXT actually won the, the ratings war in that week. So I think if they're using the WCW trademark names, hopefully as an, as an edge going in with the, the ratings war with AEW. And I, I really hope, you know, they can be creative with it too, because what I think WWE lacks with Raw and SmackDown is it always seems to be the same thing week, week in and week out, but with no sort of central theme around it. And um, I think with when they apply it to NXT, it just makes it that much more popular and it helps again like i said with the, the ratings war hmm. alan it's quite an interesting what we've seen i've seen in recent days about this whole trademark and stuff because apparently wwe and AEW are doing a lot of back and forward on these trademarks and apparently AEW, you know with cody and the dusty roads type thing but AEW were let wwe keep these ones in a way and in return wwe gave cody back cody he's, he's suddenly you know, in mm-hmm. AEW, they don't lose their first names, they lose their subnames. Uh, and, you know, he's now Cody Rhodes again, you know. Do you think we, this is something we could be seeing for a number of years, this whole back and forward, especially with these old school trademarks that Cody would love to get for, for his dad? Uh, potentially. I mean, WWE doesn't necessarily have the, cap- the capacity to take them all and use them all. I mean, you can't really have NXT having a different theme every couple of weeks. It's it's not really feasible, uh, but some of these themes I think should, could be used for the main roster and replacing other pay-per-view names. Um, so not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, I think they both need it because, truth be told, I think both of them need each other now because WWE I feel very still for so long because TNA slash Impact couldn't keep up with it and give them the fight they needed whereas AEW is proving they can go toe to toe with them um, so I think it's best it's, <laughs> I hate to say it's best for business that they do kind of work together from time to time um, it, as well because especially for example Bash that you mentioned if WWE in three years time are not using that they're not capitalising that AEW should have the right to go and say, right, do not give me X amount for that because you're not using it. And if they're not using it, sell it. Let them, let them go and do what they want to do with it. Likewise, if, I don't know, if AEW decided to stop using full gear, it's one of the big four, and they decided to call it King of the Ring or something like that, say they bought King of the Ring, they should be allowed, WWE should be allowed to go over, because you know, if you're not using full gear, you might buy that off you. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, and there's also a, a different spin in that as well. Because if you something you associate with one company, it's good to see what the alternative is going to do with it. To see, is, are they going to put a spin on it, or are they just going to run it the exact same? Uh, it makes it a bit more intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Matty, uh, Dave mentioned the whole thing about when they've ran these sort of themed events, NXT, it's kind of coincided then with a boost in the ratings. We got that with the, the two Great American Bashes, and we've seen it a couple of weeks ago with Halloween Havoc but NXT picked up a surprise win in the ratings war I think you, you can understand based on that why they'd be so keen to keep some of these trademark names and with the events that they could do the likes of a Starcade for example it doesn't need to be a themed thing on an NXT show they could run that as a takeover in itself NXT takeover Starcade it could be absolutely massive like they've done with war games yeah I, I think all of us you know especially of, of this kind of age we, we thrive on a bit of nostalgia every now and again don't we and and to your point although it wasn't a WCW event the in your house thing um was it last year maybe uh to, to fantastic um yeah this year I wear exactly right yeah yeah uh yeah I mean that was one of the events 
kind of a, a part of the year for me. It was a great watch, and, and everyone was talking about it in the lead up to it with Todd Pettengill and all those other kind of things. What can they pull out of the bag from the 1990s that we'll remember so much? I think nostalgia drives a lot of it, to be honest. And uh, WWE obviously know that they're onto a good thing, and, and fair play to them for it. Definitely, it's one of the it's one of the few things, particularly. Uh, you can usually count on NXT for this, but it's one of the things they're getting right for me this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And the ratings have shown that how these type of theme stuff type, uh, do tend to work. Uh, we're going to conclude their show with our, our bit of You Japan for this week. And of course, we've got our man Grant McRobbie, as I mentioned earlier on, the, the Japan correspondent from Stenhouse Muir. And uh, <laughs> Grant, in recent weeks, we've seen historic firsts with the G1 briefcase holder. And for the first time, it's changed hands before Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, this was, um, um, if you were to look at Twitter, this is causing an absolute storm for some people. A lot of people are not happy with it, but to me, having it being done by the best heel they've had for years in Jay White, what way to generate nuclear heat than to like have Ibushi go through two G1s, win both of them, come short main event style sort of thing at the start of this year and then oh yeah you're not even getting to that main event this time Jay White's going to do it and with blatant cheating that the ref missed that was stunning storytelling <laughs> yeah Alan I've called Jay White the uh, well, I've, I've not called him I've said to people have called him the Baron Corbin of U Japan Pro Wrestling do you think uh, you uh, having a heel like him now having the Wrestle Kingdom main events a good thing for the company yeah I mean you look at Baron Corbin people go on about they don't like him but that's because he's the best heel in the business he's doing exactly what he's meant to do you're meant to hate him he's doing it perfectly so the fact that you know, the quote Grant he's getting nuclear heat it's going to help going in there because you're going to expect him to try and cheat his way to win the title so it's going to make it a really interesting uh, match you know because you are waiting for that cheating moment or you know, is he going to surprise him on one clean? That's the question to me. But I think having a heel going into your biggest main event uh, of the year is definitely a strong point. You know, we've seen it before previously. We've had two phases where Cena on the Rock, it didn't work. You needed a proper outstanding heel. Um, so it's it's going to work. I think it'll work really really well. And as I said, I've not got a chance to watch a lot of New Japan. I'm reading a lot on it, but. It seems to look like it's going to be a spectacular show, and it's going to be a spectacular main event. And uh, I'm quite glad Jay White's going because he was actually my pick to win the G1, and he never won. So to see him now finally in the main event, I'm quite happy. Mm-hmm. Dave, I'll throw an easy question to you. We know about mm-hmm. your, yeah, you Japan logic. Uh, well, it's more of a, a Western bit of booking here. Jay White just didn't make the G1, and then. Like two weeks later, he wins the G1 briefcase. You think there's an argument that he should mm-hmm. have just won the tournament? Um, yes, maybe do it in some, but obviously because obviously the G1 climax is like a, it's like a, a tournament sort of format. I think it'd been more difficult to try and you know get away with cheating tactics every single step of the way. So I think doing it in this style probably was the best way to have done it. But it, I mean, what a moment for Kota Bushi though, winning back to back G1 climax as well. I mean, that's got to be something for him. Yeah, uh, Matty, I know you've done a lot of uh, podcasts and stuff with, uh, with some U Japan experts out there. I mean, I'm not 100% sure, so I'm just going to be, what's your, do you follow much of the, the U Japan stuff? 
No, I, I would definitely bow uh, to your guys' kind of better judgment and, and opinion when it comes to, to New Japan. But what I will say definitely is that it's it's hitting the radar, I think, of a lot of fans, perhaps who don't watch a lot of New Japan this year. Um, you know, in terms of you know their storytelling and their booking and, and the match quality, which I know always has been high, even without being a regular viewing. I think it's kind of hitting corners and hitting areas in terms of uh, you know in terms of fan support. Uh, than it never has done so you know fair play again to them we talked about AEW having a fantastic year uh, NXT doing good things but New Japan probably biased to them all in that regard this year mm-hmm. Grant you and Scott on our East meets West uh, stuff you've got a jam-packed couple of months again you've got <laughs> two tournaments before Christmas and then Wrestle Kingdom no, no, three tournaments. Three tournaments oh, before oh, Christmas. Oh, the American one, the American one as well. I, uh, yeah, um, so three tournaments before Christmas. Um, we are going heavy in depth on a lot of that. Um, we've got an episode coming out Sunday, um, doing a review of Power Struggle in the back of the G1. That so, yeah, the fact that they managed to squeeze eighteen events in twenty-eight nights between November and December. That's going to be a long str- struggle for me, like. Especially if Scott waits for the English commentary and you'll be waiting a while to talk to him about it. <laughs> <laughs> like he did for the G, like he did for the G one. How many, how many nights was he behind you at one point? Like four. Um, about about three or four nights behind me because the, like, the English commentary was usually taking a couple of days to get back. And at one point you had eleven shows in fourteen days, and you're talking almost three hours a show. That's a lot of viewing. It's crazy, but you guys do a good job talking about it on a more dedicated East Meets West show, you know. Uh, David Hortney's going to be reviewing the Wrestle Kingdom pay-per-view with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's two nights this time, Dave, so you'll be about eight hours across the two days. Dave really likes Dave oh. really liked the, the Fatal 4-Way Junior match from a couple of years ago. He'll tell you that. I uh, Wrestle Kingdom 13, that was, a, that was a cracking match. And also Jericho Omega... Was a was a was a barnstormer too. <laughs> Plenty of Japanese stuff out there. Grant will tell everybody you try and watch it. You know, everybody rec- everybody goes recommend me some WWE matches, and Grant chucks a New Japan match at you. <laughs> that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a good way to round off the latest edition of ESSR Central here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. If this is the first time you've listened to us and you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe to us. We're on all good podcast platforms. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, any good ones on Android, you name it, we're there. Just give us a wee subscribe. You can find us on social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Suplex Retweet. We can interact with us. We talk pretty much all things wrestling on all those uh, social channels, including our Facebook uh, community group. It's a closed group where you can talk about anything you want and not get slagged, or you can get slagged. You know, it's a closed group. It's all it's all friendly on there. And you can also get us on YouTube. You can find us there. We've got some great extra content on there, including Quiz Showdown, where we've got a couple of uh, Quiz Showdowns getting recorded imminently. Uh, a couple of guys here will be on the next one, so you can watch that as well. We've also got the Conspiracy Theory hosted by David Campbell, where we let him do his outlandish ramblings to the world. But David's also going to be hosting our upcoming Book It tournament, where we do a bit of fantasy booking of various scenarios of wrestling given to us by the GOAT David Campbell. The first one will be out this coming Friday, which features Scott McLeod taking on Strack as they book a TNA pay-per-view. So that's well worth keeping an eye on on our YouTube feed this coming Friday. But for us here on an Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, I'd like to thank my panel for this evening. First of all, David Hockney. Thank you. Uh, to Alan McLucas, thank you very much. 
Cheers, mate. Uh, to Grant McRobbie, thank you. Thank you, and Hockney, I'll see you at Quiz Showdown, son. <laughs> yeah, see you there. And we'd like to thank our special guest this week, Matty Paddock. Matty, thanks for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed chatting with us this week. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks, gentlemen, for having me. Much appreciated. No, it's been a pleasure. I have, I have been Stephen Wilson, and we'll see you next week. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quest Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in the show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.